Hello, welcome to Fitness and Relations. Uh, I'm James. You can't Melissa. see her. <laughs> the time where I, the time when I don't want her to say anything because I always want her to say something, you know, because seems like no one knows she's over there. Um, I cut her off. Um, <laughs> oh man, uh, I want I wanted us to get started right away, uh, Melissa, uh, because you had just said offline uh, why we wanted to have the discussion today. So can you start with that again? So today's conversation is going to be on aging male reproduction and why I felt like this was important is because we've had a lot of conversations around female reproduction and it's a current topic that we're hearing a lot about when we talk about menopause or perimenopause and the experiences that women go through as they age. And I'm just finding that that conversation isn't being as equally had or talked about for men and almost just leaving them wondering if there's anything that they're in the dark about with their own. Um, reproductive health or their own aging process. Um, and yeah, so I wanted to dig in and see, is there anything that men should know about aging? Yeah, fantastic. Uh, it's funny, it's called menopause. I mean, I don't know, there's something right from the get-go that got switched on that one. I'm sure there's some Greek Latin terminology that's more appropriate uh, for that understanding, but that's kind of interesting. Because um, the opposite for males is called andropause, correct? You know, um, but Andro, I always thought it had a connotation of this like neutral territory, uh, as in androgynous, androgynous. Anyways, um, some, something to dig in there. Maybe it's some, uh, wording that, uh, we need to ham on. Um, yeah, I, 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 I love the discussion too. I'm, you know, um, gonna be 50 years of age soon. So it's something that, uh, indirectly hits home, you know, for me, I guess on a more personal level. As I say that though, too, I also think it's, very important that um, uh, you specifically and also females um, really, I shouldn't be, the, I shouldn't be the guarantor of this, you know, but they should also have just as much right to have a discussion and have uh, like a, a more in-depth conversation on that. Not only because I don't want it to happen the opposite way for like not allowing me to have conversations on what I love about menopause and, and the biology and the feminine, beautiful, et cetera. But um, yeah, I just wanted to make mention of that too. I think it's really important that, uh, that uh, we get multiple angles with regards to, uh, you know, you know, how we look at this. Uh, I, I'd like to take a little bit more. I'm not sure if this sets the tone for what you'd like to focus on for today for that area, but I, I'm, I'm super interested in the, uh, the tone uh, with regards to, uh, the perceptions around it somewhat seeming like it's a problem. I'd like to have that. I'd like to take that more or less tone, like the therapeutic conversation of the therapeutic paradigm, medicines, encroachment, uh, you know, coming up with things that could be a problem, but could not be. And still, actually, there are some problems there that I don't worry, I will not like work, work around from or discuss. So um yeah, I'd like to take that more or less angle from it. Yeah. And like uh, it. sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, you know, I like it. I just I think it's a good one, again, just even for coaches, because if you're a female coach and you do train men and you have some aging males, it's one that I've had to come to talk to in consultation. Um, you know, just assuming that maybe they had another outlet to talk to about these things and they don't. Mm. So I think it is important, again, just as coaches that 
you know, we understand all the, the therapeutics, right? And things like that in case a client does come to you and ask you questions on if they should be taking this or that, or they spoke to their doctor and was like offered this as a solution, um, being able to answer or have those conversations. Yeah, I hope. I hope that uh, coaches can, or just humans out there, we'll call them health advocates, um, uh, that don't turn into, you know, um, extreme health activists. Uh, but uh, I, I would hope that coaches do get that piece of information. But it does make me think about if we should, if we, when we want to spend just a little bit of preamble here on, uh, in in your neck of the woods more recently of that communication and consultation process, not only just discussing what you had mentioned there of female possible female coaches who will discuss that with an aging male, but um, just maybe uh, some of the things that that we should that we should um, that we should broach with aging males. And dare I say, I I mean I'll think about this now before I say it, but I think it's actually more effective on the back end for that long-term health of that aging male to have a female coach discuss that with them. Um, I think there's a lot of things that are thrown across the table uh, with that female coach from an aging male that creates, um, I'm not being stereotypical when I say that, it's just from my experience that creates a little bit more openness. I'm also being biased there, like I told you before, I generally use the shame card or the joker card or whatever, um, and which still resulted in like a, a nudge and a movement. But I don't think uh, the male can capture all of it as effectively as possibly a female can do for an aging male coach. So do you want to talk talk maybe just briefly on that for communication practices? Or you could just use a story if you want that kind of got got things across or... Yeah. I mean, it depends on the, the type of client you're working with. You know, I have different avatars, like the aging male that has a really hard time, um, who has a larger training age and maybe took a break from fitness and is coming back to you and just has like an attachment to what they were able to do or what they think they should be able to do. Um, mm. and having a hard time just seeing their body, not deteriorate, but the, the concept of entropy, right? I'm aging, yeah. I'm entering the age of 50 and weights that I think I should be able to hit. I no longer can do. Yeah. There's that, or I've had very transparent because I think it is a male to female, a coach be coming in. I mean, a client come in and say like his wife is going through hormone replacement therapy and wondering if he should be taking testosterone, mm. right? It's like, are my hormones stopping the same way? Am mm. I going to stop producing testosterone? Is that something I should mm. be worried about? Should I start taking hormone replacement and simply just not knowing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I'm not sure you were mentioning it th this way, but I think I think actually both male and female coaches have the knowledge and capability to answer those questions for clients. I, I don't think, I don't think it's a, and I'm not sure that's what you're saying, but I don't, I don't think it's like more challenging for females to broach that topic with an aging male. What I was thinking is I'd posited the idea that it's actually easier for females because they do have the competency and the technical awareness of what's required, right? But what we're called the basics and we'll get to, but also it's, I think, a a better, I just think it's females are better at it. There's a there's more sensitivity, there's more empathy, and there's more there's more understanding. Let's call it more emotion, which is required, which is required on a on a much more deeper level of a very difficult topic. 
And I think why, now that I'm saying that out loud, I think it's because of some of those things in the room that have been implicit inside of the male persona for so long around shame. And I don't think, I don't think a male on the other side is going to as effectively deal with that, that a female can. Agreed. And I also don't think that a male going to a male coach may even be comfortable bringing this topic up or talking about these issues at all. Yeah. Like maybe I could, cause I'm, I could like speak to stories that are like, Hey, yeah, I agree. This is what's happened to me. You too. Oh yeah. My gosh. You know, if you have uh, a 20 year old coach or yeah. a 25 year old coach and you're a, you know, a 53 year old male, this may not, depending on the dynamic of the relationship, this may not be something that you feel comfortable even discussing with that person. Yeah. And I'll go even further on that then, because the point you made is a very good one, that that's actually more detrimental because of the implicit perception that that client has of the goals that they want, that they see in the male young coach. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you don't want your client, you know, wanting to be a young badass like you. That's actually poor behaviors that you could be indirectly passing over. Now, I'll keep saying that as I say biased. I I did that very well, very successfully, right? Like at some points, you know, indirectly, my clients knew I was at the highest, you know, echelon of my physical expression. They knew that, right? But but I didn't know the other side that I was like, ooh, this is, I don't know if I want them looking at that as the ideal. You know, do they know that I may have hypogonadism at uh, 34 years of age? You know, so there's 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 those anyway, sorry to keep keep on that angle. But I think uh, from the outset, the communication area here. And if those who are listening in that are not in coaching, uh, I think it's still important to, to see that. Just put the put the person in the coach's point as you possibly as a friend. Right. Because then you can kind of ruminate on what goes inside the conversation. Like, what kind of conversation should I have with my friend? Maybe you can pick that up as Melissa and I discuss, like, what a coach should say to a client. Or say, I think in that perfect analogy is like a person listening to this that has, that is in fitness themselves and has an aging parent. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, you're correct. That opens up so many different great angles. Yeah. Yeah, but we're going to we're going to like bring it into, um, you know, uh, the aging male. And we'll say um, for just demarcation purposes today, it'll be it'll be uh, and and, and maybe maybe you want maybe have a disagreement with this. But um, I would qualify the let's call the resisting entropy phase. A, a mathematical definition of the resisting entropy phase is actually j- acutely post peaking phase. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so if you think about that for a second, if people don't understand what I mean by that, well, that's going to be up to you to, 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 you know, go back on our previous OPEX literature, go see Melissa and OPEX cure, get more answers to it. But, you know, there's growing phases in lives of humans uh, and then there's peaking phases. Now at these peaking phases, we have this, I would hope, <laughs> uh, this elongated continual drive towards maximum 
uh, let's call it the interplay between cognitive and physical expression. This really, really high point. Um, and the reason why I'm creating this demarcation of what we're calling the aging male today is that people would quickly then think, oh, so you're talking about uh, some some guy who's 55 until he's 85. And I'm saying no. I'm saying that post-peaking is it because post-peaking is the start of resisting entropy. Now, if we were to just use absolute terminology of which I disagree with, but I'll just use it for people's conversation today in the article that we'll post on it. If you were to use nanomoles per milliliter of testosterone, what I'm saying is that when when though when that particular number starts to go down by one after the post peak, that is what I'm going to clarify today for is this aging reproductive male. What's your thoughts on that or what troubles can we get into if we if we clarify that? Do we get into the issue of like you know, talking about 32 to 82 years old, or I don't know. I, I mean, I don't think it's an issue we get into. I think it's just oftentimes I find that younger coaches have a hard time wrapping their brain around it. Mm. We like to think of everything in these clean constraints of like this to this yeah. or these brackets, and it doesn't work that way. Yeah. And the reason why I brought it up is because I just see so many um individuals post peak being preyed upon um by the medical industry and the therapeutic paradigm at 35 to 40 years of age to start getting like early prostate testing early urology te like you know the, the fact that that just rolls off people's tongues now as if it's like this progressive medical marvel i think it's honestly disgusting um now i'll get to my point as to why i feel so you know heated based upon that but you see that's why i'm saying like a post peak area it, at 40 years of age there could be very well a you know millions and millions of quote unquote aging males at 40 years of age today right um and i don't don't worry we're still i'm still gonna we're still gonna there's no big surprise it's still gonna be based upon the principles what we believe to be true that will fix all those issues i mean not necessarily just medicines or surgeries or therapeutics etc um, but uh, that's why I, you know, that's why I think about that. And personally, I, I went through it, right? My late thirties, you know, I, I started even saying things in my head, like, man, like your, your journey is shortened because of that peak. This is not an elongated journey that you're going to have now. Um, so I could quickly, you know, with my knowledge and looking, you know, and sore joints and shit, you know, it's like, gosh, you know, I thought most people like my clients would experience these kind of things at 55 years of age, but I was experiencing my late thirties, you know? So, um, and I think I'm not afraid of the trouble that we get into as well with that, meaning that, yeah, I will tell you, and I have done it. There are some people in their late thirties through traumatic brain injuries, overzealous training, et cetera, that actually do want a healthy next 50 years of their life. And yes, correctly personally identified and correctly done they may need hormonal therapy in order to help that process happen but where i do have the issue is the 39 year old and excuse me for my reductionist brunt take on this but for people who are not educated enough or will read enough and they have a shitty lifestyle practice and now they want the fix at 39 i have a big fucking problem with that a big problem with that um and so that's why you know, the late thirties, you know, kind of thing should be brought up. But 
so I don't continue on with my, you know, to bore you and everyone with my personal rants on that. Um, can you quote the article that we have that we wanted to use as like a jump off point for what you and I shared and we discussed and then uh, maybe on the back end of that, give your initial give your initial thoughts as to what came up in your mind when you uh, when you read that, Melissa. Yeah, it was a New York Times piece called More Men Are Seeking Out Testosterone Test. Are They Getting Duped? Online low T services have proliferated life um, during the pandemic, but treatment can, but treatment can come with risk. So it just kind of goes into the risks that are associated with taking testosterone. Um, and I found this one to be, again, an interesting one or a good starting point for us um, because I do have clients that are reaching for hormone replacement or taking testosterone to decrease belly fat. To um, so your point again, like um, high stressed, overworked lifestyle isn't in place and using this as a fix all to reshape body composition or feel like they can get better results inside the gym without addressing their lifestyle. And there is no doubt, actually, it does work faster. It's the other thing that, of course, we have to say that works against us. I have, I've had my own personal take on uh, Ozempic and Wagovi and all the semaglutide stuff. So you can go back and try to find my information based upon that. But I've also said this in CCP. You can remember that it it, it all based upon what your definition is of living a larger life. That's what it comes down to. So if your premise coming in is a quick fix scenario, I will never be able to provide you information that will tell you broccoli and lunges is going to get things done faster than testosterone therapy. I will never. So I just want to say that out loud too, to your point of why we use this. If coaches are thinking, gosh, I just feel like I have no defense, you know, um, you can't go on offense with your BLGs <laughs> because there actually is no data to show that in six weeks, broccoli and lunges beats testosterone therapy and Wagovi as a, as a one-two combo. It doesn't. So your client, to your point, that are asking these questions, I see my wife doing it, and I got these questions, and I saw, read this article, you know, what should I do? Um, you as a coach just need to know where you stand from the get-go on the facts. And the facts is are that it's an unbelievably powerful, you know, should I say, addictive stimulant. It's what it is. Um, that doesn't mean that unbelievably powerful addictive stimulants may not at the right dose individually prescribed for 50 years <laughs> lead to some great cognitive and physical health. But um, you see, I preempted that with like individuality and uh, and properly prescribed in time. Anyways, that that sets the tone for our conversation on what we believe in, but also how to initially as a coach answer that question. Uh, you got to say, well, let's back up. This is what I would say. Well, let's back up and talk about what do we define as success for you, Jonathan, right? And so if then a Jonathan pauses and says something like, well, you know, I want to be, I want to be around for my grandkids, like something that may come up as you like breach that real deep shit across the table, right? Uh, then you can say, well, that's fantastic, you know? So are we by saying that and we're setting the tone for this long term play? Do you think this is like a 50 year plan or a six week plan? And see, 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 now you're not doing a gotcha moment, but you're laying the groundwork for Jonathan going, yeah, you know what? Maybe I need to be a little bit more patient, you know, with this approach. I'm not sure if you've had uh, that with because I the way you said it, it sounds like you're probably getting it 
you know, consistently people either asking the questions or whatnot. I'm not sure if you've had that feedback of the long game versus short and the. Well, I think that's, you know, the long versus short, it depends again on like what I think you have to have like clear communication with the client when they first start working with working with them in the first place. Because most of the time, like most of our clients know that it's a long-term approach, mm-hmm. right? It's very clearly already in our sales when we onboard someone that we don't do quick fixes, that most things are going to take several years before we get to where we want to go. Yeah. Determining where that even is. Um, but I think it's, actually, I think it's more unpacking in the consultation, the longer you're with someone, it's like, say someone comes in and they're having a great result. But you know, in the back of their of their mind, they're still attached to this, like, but I'm still not there. The ideal. Right? Like, they might be feeling better. They might have more energy, but they're still like this, like, but I still don't have the six pack or I mm-hmm. still didn't get rid of this last little bit of belly fat. Or there's still that aching thing that like, unless you keep digging, you're not going to get to the unhappiness with that person. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's like they may feel good and be like, oh, I can bend down and like pick up my grandkid. But mm-hmm. this idea of I should look like Arnold Schwarzenegger because he's that age and he still looks like that. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't think if those are listening, if you don't think that's powerful, um, that powerful, like I would call it an incorrectly aligned intention in someone's mind. Is actually can actually be so powerful over time, it can deter them from from wanting to be consistent because it becomes exhausting to them all they place in their mind is this ideal outside of your consultation or conversation with them right and so i yeah i i I like the way you frame that of the ongoing consultation because it speaks to what needs to happen inside of there for consistency of refocusing refocusing on what we like to call it's anti-therapeutic but we like to call potential Let's focus on Jonathan's potential, right? Because you're indirectly then saying, hey, you know, we're not focusing on Peter's potential. It's Jonathan's potential. So Jonathan has to still get this reflection from you on this truth, right? Of like, well, what's my what's my thoughts on what I can best become? And sometimes that's difficult. I'm sure you would, sometimes it's difficult for client. You could see it. I'm not sure if you've seen it before. You could see it they're not happy with that understanding that you just gave to them, right? It's like, I don't like the fact that I just realized that I will never reach Peter's potential. Yeah. And that, of course, is like, uh, would you say that a lot of males are being bombarded with that more so today with information and... and, uh, Yeah, I think it's equally being shoved upon men as it is for women. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. 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 So you could take a look at it from, and then to pin back to our article and the conversation for today, I think the question consistently needs to be asked, like, why, as we keep going along, keep it in the back of your head, why Why does it seem like it's more, it, there's just more of it today? And I'm not going to give an answer to that, whether it is or it's not, but I'll just say that, like, in the information age and all this information that's being shared, it should make sense. Um, secondly, we're in a post COVID world where there's a lot of things that happened in that quote unquote online space that will take probably generations, honestly, 
to to refix and to kind of reformulate because so many people got so in deep for like 20, 30 years because of some decisions that were made based upon what happened there, even down to the laws. And I'll get into that with telehealth medicine, et cetera, et cetera. But the the thing that uh, again, this is my angle of it in this in this time frame. I think there's there's still an issue. Uh, maybe you could speak more about it as as seeing seeing that you will be in place for that um, like more consistently every day than I am. But I used to speak about that consistently. That the, you know the the value of a coach in what we can provide is actually the antidote to to um, what seemingly looks like the right answer by that authority figure of therapeutics and medicine, et cetera. And let, let me let me just tell you how it's done on their behalf, because I've seen this in multiple different systems and someone could come in and talk to me and I'll give you all the background information on multiple systems as to how that happens. But the medical model approaches it this way. They'll always get up in front and speak at conferences and tell people in the New York Times, as well as you know people in the audience, they're like, Oh, this is our blueprint. Number one, we exhaust all health and lifestyle things that will fix all your problems. Two, if that doesn't work after we've exhausted all of them, we will resort to medicines and we can show you 40 years of evidence that shows that these medicines will work for that particular thing. If that doesn't get us there in a period of time, this is all darker because backroom, they know it's not going to get them there. The third is surgery. Right. And so surgery is a invasive, what I like to call a finalized option. That means that there's no going back after surgery and we can classify surgery. So let's back up there. What you just heard there, it sounds like that's like the Hippocratic oath. Right. But this is what happens. The truth is, and this is how you're being preyed upon for that older aging male. You're going to read a New York Times article and inside of it, they're going to ask for a doctor's perspective. And we need to then say, well, what actually in context did that doctor do to that particular person when they say this, these words that you and I are, I'm going to say it, we're experts at this of the health and lifestyle options, the number one. So when a doctor says, oh, well, you know, and this is why I had a problem with the articles. They're like, oh, if you think you have a problem with that, make sure you speak to a urologist, endocrinologist, or this specialist with hypogonadal background. First of all, a doctor is never going to say, oh, geez, you know, I'm not really familiar with hypogonadism. Uh, number two, doctors have had 10 days of training of stuff that you and I are experts in. Experts, not professionals, experts, dare I say masters of it. We're what we're calling health and lifestyle. So I'm just speaking about the approach that's taken on the therapeutic paradigm so people don't get trapped. And if anything you want to use is just a mantra, when you say exhaust all health and lifestyle options, uh, you need to really lay, lay out all your shit on the table as to what you mean by that. You know, because as you saw in that story, even what happened to the person in the story when they went after, quote unquote, health and lifestyle over a period of time? I'll tell you what happens. It said, and it finished the article with, you know what? Sometimes it's just the basic stuff that works. <laughs> yep. yeah, so, it's, 
So there, there was a lot in there. I'm not sure uh, of any angle you want to take on it, but I just wanted to lay out the the unspoken blueprint that 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 uh, the therapeutic system seems to have in place that's going to fix all the woes. On top of that was this, you know, I just think there's so much chatter on it about today that we should really question if it's really anything at all. No, I loved it. It was like, right, that. And then it was after six months of adjusting his lifestyle with more exercise, plenty of sleep and better diet, his testosterone levels nearly doubled. Right. So it's like, and I, I, that is exactly to your point is what does it mean when we say we've exhausted lifestyle? And there's also this fear mongering now that's like, if you go to the doctor, they're going to say like, take this medication because the t- the amount of time it will take you to exhaust your lifestyle, yeah. you're going to experience something negative, right? Like this could be detrimental to your health if you don't take this medication now because how long it takes for you to do lifestyle. Yeah. And my personal opinion is that those doctors should be put in jail. I think that is absolutely fraudulent. Like that, and- that is a disgusting remark by a medical professional to say that. And and then and then that medical professional will also then talk online to talk about conspiracy theorists, the people that believe there's something wrong with medicines. So that you know, and they're saying, well, you know, what happens when we put a person through this quote unquote two year broccoli and lunge plan? And if you don't even want to partake in that, you know, for individuals, I honestly think there should be repercussions for your decisions that are being made outside of that. If you full well know that that's a false statement that you made because there's so many, so many gray areas inside of that. Oh, it's going to take long and you could get into trouble. What, what are you saying? Right. Obviously they'd never, you know, maybe spoken to a health professional, right? Well, what do you have in plan? Well, we track people, we measure how they're doing. They do check-ins with us. You know, we get them to sit down and chew, you know, and the doctor's probably like, Jesus, like that, that's the answer to do it. It's like, yeah, exactly. It is the answer to it. They can't quote unquote get into trouble because they become free thinkers and free movers. They start making better decisions because of their movement, et cetera. Anyways. Um, that's real, right. You're also talking to probably a doctor who's not doing any of those things themselves. To- correct. Correct. And I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to clear throat and say, oh, it's too easy to pick on that, you know, because people are like, well, there are some doctors. Yeah, but I don't care if there's some doctors, 99.8% of them are not well-versed in what can be done with a long-term health and lifestyle program. We shouldn't expect them to be experts in that. That's my point on this New York Times article. They should be contacting Melissa and saying, well, what's your thoughts on this? When a client who you actually see with these questions every day for 10 years what would you say to that person, right? They're not even giving Melissa the, or let's call it the aura of Melissa or the mythic of Melissa in terms of the fitness coach. They're not even giving them that opportunity to explain the true answer, which is what? It's a lot, you know, because this is what I'm not going to speak for you, but this one will say, well, it's an individualized long-term approach to get this person out of what they perceive to be problems, <laughs> what they perceive to be problems, Without us even getting into the weeds on, oh, is it 250? Is it 325? What's healthy? What's not? It's like you're you're even asking the wrong questions. So I think that the the unspoken things I I wrote it down is these they come at you with ranges. That's what they'll start you with, right? 
Oh, if it's a range, already they got you because you're immediately like, well, I don't know about a range. What? How do I find answers to ranges? And you got to remember that they'll make the range if you want to do your research on making ranges. Ranges are made for big pharma. This is this has been well known for 50 or 60 years, right? Um, second, they use authority, right? Oh, you won't know about this semaglutide, blah, 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 blah. So they'll use these big words and big language to basically, for the third area, they'll scare the shit out of you. So now you have authority on top of fear, on top of ranges. And what what's a man to do, right? What's a man to do? Listen to Melissa, right? A female on the cross table who's going to tell me about broccoli and lunges. So I'm just trying to speak to like the trouble that we're in, in the, in the fix, quote unquote, you know, because I'll use their language. The fix for that particular issue is not testosterone. It's conversation on how you got in trouble and the expectations you have placed on yourself for what you think you're supposed to be. And yes, that's problematic, but it's much more worthwhile. <laughs> you know, like that's 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 hard. But the hard game, you know, the, the long game is the hard game, and the hard game is the right way. The right way, I don't remember what the saying is, but you know. Yeah. Just because we're still there. Uh, how in the hell did we get to the point where there's such a thing as online medicine? Online. I keep those two words together. Um, you know, did COVID bring that about? Uh, I, I think I think That's it did. But it, it was COVID okay. and COVID inconvenience. COVID inconvenience. It is people are too busy and it's too inconvenient to go to a doctor. So this was another quick fix, easy solution to COVID allowed for it because when COVID happened and you couldn't go see people in person, it was like everything became on the computer. And then it was like, well, I can just talk to this person on the computer. So why would I ever, you know, if I have a full busy work day, why would I give up not being able to just hop on the computer with anyone? Yeah, I just tried to imagine like all the because I remember listening to uh, an honest debate between Dr. Tom and Dr. Drabat mm -hmm. uh, because these are two uh, similar but differing opinions on this particular topic. Um, if they're not aware and I'm mis and I'm misspeaking for both, then you know I apologize. But this is what I took from it. Uh, they both care at a deep level for people. Um, uh, Dr. Drabat would feel that there are newer forms of scientific medicines and kind of things that he could kind of manage that if things were done right away, the right way, individualized, et cetera, there could be things done that rewire the system that move it forward. And Dr. Tom would say, no, exhaust number one until basically, you know, you're at your end of your days. And then we can have a conversation on, uh, you know, uh, philosophy on number two, medicines and surgery, et cetera. So he would, he would, he had a deeper, you know, understanding, not deeper understanding, that's false, Mr. O, that a different understanding of the classic home, classic naturopathy uh, method, which is, you know, anything outside of, you know, what you could take care of for your own self responsibility, your own physical potential, et cetera, 
there needs to be just like this lengthy conversation on it. You know, mm-hmm. we don't just make these decisions in six weeks being like, oh yeah, there's this new medicines and new hormone therapy and it'll fix things and rewire and you get to be on your way. Um, so in, in that case, I just, and this is coming on the back end, me explaining this because I'm just trying to think that both of those people to make decisions, to, to make a decision to someone over a Zoom consultation to start taking testosterone therapy, to me, like I can't, I can't, even when, as it comes out of my mouth, like I don't, I don't even understand. And I know it's prolific. I know that that actually has happened over the past three years on an alarming rate and everyone's on board because so many people can make money off it, right? And because it fixes things fa- faster than broccoli and lunges. But I can't believe we're in this world that there's this acceptance now of telehealth and online medicine for what I, what we're speaking about today, right? Testosterone therapy for a male who could simply, and it's not, you know, simply as easy as it was online, you know, to get, or to get in a catalog of like some Mexican, you know, uh, <laughs> order or something. Um, this is actually now being done within the system online. And I find it very troubling because the list of things beyond just these that I'll mention is what it leads to either the wrong medication or wrong amounts, right? When people are in person, there's always this back and forth of like, do you understand that? Yeah. No, do you, are you sure you understand that? Yeah. Now let me, let me be clear now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like there's always this back and forth that was done on that for the, the medications in general. Number two, this decreases the relationship with a client. It becomes what you and I know we talked about a lot philosophically on our calls for many years it becomes what I believe happens anyways in online relationships it becomes very transactional. It doesn't become human anymore. So when you get in the online world and in online health, it's going to become a transactional thing. Number three, it decreases the visibility of those in-person signs and symptoms that you and I pick up, picked up on. Right. And I, I don't know. I don't know why we just walk over that. Like you can remember, I'm sure numerous times someone walked into your gym and without any conversation, you could sense they needed to have 10 minutes, right? So the question has to be asked, right? Question has to be asked, how many things will they put up as a front on a Zoom call to not allow you to see that, right? So so if no one thinks that's important, remember, they're making life decisions on medicine now, with that, without that, like in person, hey, let's can we just chat for a second? Oh, I had a bad evening, and this is what my wife and I were really having some troubles. And I woke up this morning, and it's on my mind, and etc. And now Melissa's like, listen, <laughs> okay, this is what's going to happen for today to kind of keep keep you going, right? What Melissa doesn't do is like, oh, this is a pill that will you know quickly take care of that. And then lastly, I think humans get lost. Humans will get lost in the AI a logarithm, you know, big blob shuffle that's what's going to happen with these online telehealth you know processes and on the back end of that the reason why i'm speaking about this because this was actually mentioned in the article of the proliferation now of online telehealth uh, recommendations for testosterone for the aging male is there anything there that i missed or you wanted to hit on that we could be getting into trouble with with not not you and i but like like society could be getting into trouble with with the overprescription of that or do you maybe want to take a, you know, a, a devil's advocate to against my uh, 
my point? No, I agree. I think it's, I mean, the biggest one I come back to is the misprescription in doses and clarity. I don't, right. I just think it's, it's a really quick, this is what it is. This is what you're going to take. And that's it. There is no, do you understand? As being the, as being the question that's not happening in telehealth, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Because even for the clients that we get that have been prescribed this, they have no, no idea how long they're taking it for. What happens when we stop taking it? What is the long-term intention of this? What are we trying to actually accomplish with doing this? Right. What happens if we actually get our testosterone back to the ranges you think it's supposed to be? What is What happens when that happens? Like what? Right. Like so many good questions there, Melissa. Yeah. We're having them. And I'm like, this didn't happen with your doctor. Yeah. Nicole. Yeah. I would say just kind of, you know, there is maybe one out of 30 though, that that question and answer did happen. And that's where that's honestly probably the person that will benefit. And you know why is because they became uh, really educated really educated in their personalized prescriptions. Yes. They asked lots of questions and then therefore that doctor was able to explain it. Yeah. What will happen in five years? I would hope we never even remember this conversation. I would hope that you're eating broccoli and doing lunges and this got you to a point which was going to sustain you for like conversations like that. Right. As opposed to everything in the room has got to be about you getting this body in 12 weeks. Or are you having this, you know, false ideal as to what that is? I do want to hit two things, though, based on what you just said for that thing that's not spoken about. Indirectly, we forget that, you know, you and I today as well are making that fault. We're focusing on one thing. But like you and I know, we believe in, is that, sure, if you wanted to get in the room of testing, um, you should be testing 15 to 25 things. So the whole point of being on that is that we're we're creating this issue, you know, this facade of isolating one thing that's the holy grail, right? And this is one thing that we haven't spoken about today, but is is super obvious. You know, there is a monstrosity of a range in those ranges that someone could have for their testosterone scores based upon generalized principles of this aging male without taking into account 14 other, 20 other different tests, right? how your adrenals are doing, blood sugar management, like all these other things I could get into, immune system uh, order, blood flow, uh, electrolytes. Like there's there's a list of stuff that, and if people are like, oh, you know, I've done the 30 and it still came to that. Well, I'd like to see your specific scores because people who do really in-depth, bigger ones, they start to recognize, like, you know, what's being sold today, Melissa, what ends up being the prescription for most of those people? Well, well, honest ones, besides just selling supplements, it's eating real food, eating good fats and good proteins, right? Getting good sleep. Like it ends up being a prescription of our BLGs. Why? Because they see that even if like A1C is 5.1, but you've got 24 other like gold star scores, the doctor's going to be like, well, it would be, it would be ludicrous for us to focus on that one particular store score, right? Like, we don't just go after that score. We go after like this ideal of a best lifestyle and consistency and then come back and revisit if we want. That was a whole host of, you know, points to make on what you and I 
are indirectly falling prey to, but we know it, of thinking that testosterone is like the holy grail range and score, you know? Great. Yeah. Well, just because I had it written, written down, um, I wanted to talk about uh, biology and what is generalized happening. And then maybe you could speak to it. Um, well, actually, we won't do it today. I'm not saying it for you to speak to it, but because we want to cover it another time. But, um, you know, biologically, it is expected, like I always talk about this, you know, uh, uh, the thing that, you know, sometimes it's difficult for people because it's an existential question, right? Of resisting entropy and like getting older and not getting stronger, et cetera. A lot of people are afraid of that, right? Well, I, I use it as the the language of fear of freedom, right? They're they're afraid of like this existential thought of um, you know, what's to come and then not getting better for the rest of their life. And that that takes a while for people to understand. Um, but it it is it is on a biological level, you know. There should be less blood flow <laughs> to the to the penis and to that area and to your reproductive organs over time. And that's elongated, stretched out. Um, there should be uh, less sperm motility. So your ability to basically get everyone churning and moving, be able to make babies. And even though you think, yes, I've seen someone at 65 have babies, it's like, yeah, well, that's just a you know a shot in the dark. And it actually did work, uh, quote unquote. Um and you should have uh, libido lowering, you know. So this is an this is a natural. So I know that sounds like a generalized terminology, but I'm I'm saying it out loud because there seems to be this lack of acceptance around these realities, right? And so if you're like, well, I don't know how I'm going to contend with low sperm motility, low libido, and uh, low blood flow to my penis. You know, well, that's that doesn't that shouldn't make you immediately jump into the testosterone booster bandwagon, right? That's shit that you're just going to have to, as I say, that's why it's an existential conversation for people. You just need to be able to, to back up and be like, well, how do I create purpose in my life? You know, what is purpose for me? Do I need a new rewiring of what purpose is with a new body and possibly a new changing mind and maybe a not as capable mind and body over time? Like, what what do I want to contribute to that whole internal like project over a period of time? I'm kind of giving up what I'm going through over the past 10 years or so and kind of kind of feeling that out. But I just wanted to lay the groundwork for it um, for my my point that I'm I continually make. I'm not sure if you remember me or us talking about that, but we haven't had a tremendous amount of experience on this aging uh, for for humans. Now, for those who believe that the earth began in 6,000 years ago, that's still, and I reason why I say that as opposed to like the truth of, you know, a longer time, um, you know, that's still a really long time of not knowing what it's like as a whole to live from 50 to 95 years of age. So I know that's a very tough thought experiment for people, but imagine, and this is the way you stretch it out. So imagine if you can, in the year 2800, and just say, with all the things that we just saw over the past 30 years happen with technology and medicine, et cetera, you know, you need to say to yourself, do you think we'll have at least some, you know, momentum gained on this whole project of andropause and menopause? And you bet your ass it's going to happen. Right? It's something, some, I mean, I could get into the weeds of what I believe that will happen, but 
So all I'm just saying is that I still believe we're in the infancy phase. It's only 100 years of practice. And in my belief, like 250,000 years of practice of on average spending time alive and upright from 55 to 85 years of age. So if you take that perspective, it actually eases everything. It makes everyone just like calm down and be like, wow, how grateful are we that we get these 55 to 85 years to kind of figure out what we're doing with a limp penis and low sperm motility. You know what I mean? Like uh, that's, that's my approach to like taking it on that end for the, for the aging male on the back end of me saying these realistic pieces of, listen, you're not going to get stronger. Like this is, this is physical potential um, of you just basically resisting entropy for as long as possible. And I love this because now apply real world, real world application and the health state of most men at that age who have had high stressed jobs and potentially put their health on the back burner for the last 20 years. Yeah. So say 30 to 55 was just like grinding. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, what are we, if we already have tax adrenals, we have shitty sleep habits and all of a sudden now we're seeing libido decrease and all these side, not side effects, but these things that are naturally supposed to happen. And it's like, whoa, this was supposed to be my prime time. We've been sold this vision of like, once we get to our mid fifties, it's like, this is like the time we get to enjoy life. Mm-hmm. And my body's not responding or my body's not functioning how I thought it would be when I get to this place. So again, so social um, expectations or just like yes. these narratives that have been created. And I also just want to hit on like you were just saying, like blood flow to organs, sperm motility and libido. You know, we're waiting to have children later in life. And again, we talk a lot about this in the fertility world of, you know, women freezing their eggs and all these things. But it's almost kind of just an afterthought that men have to be considerate of their own health when they're when it comes to their role in uh, reproduction. And it's mm-hmm. like, say we're waiting until we're 45 to have a kid and your spouse has frozen her eggs, mm-hmm. but you haven't taken care of your own health. Mm-hmm. Right. Or we're having these like issues of only one part, one part of the party being really diligent on taking care of their health and putting themselves into a great state of fertility. And they have partners that just like think they're along for the ride because they have as much sperm as, you know, sperm is sperm. Mm -hmm. Mind nothing changes for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, Which we, I remember us either discussing it either on our podcast or just privately about that unspoken conversation around, um, you know, all the energy seems to be put into, well, there's a problem with your eggs or your vagina or your uterus. Um, and there, there doesn't seem to be as much energy around quote unquote, trying to come up with not a silver bullet problem, but coming up with like, well, why don't we have a discount conversation on how unable these men are? Yeah. The, and what I mean by unable is that your, your shit might be working, but it may not be working you know, beyond just what you see working for for 30 seconds or 60 seconds, meaning that your your stuff that you're trying to pass on, your information that you're trying to pass on, um, that's just, just not getting the job done. And so I just don't think that I, I, I'm just rewording what you just said there. I think, but at, at, at the same time as I'm saying that, I think it's also, 
it's so difficult to have a conversation on reproductive male aging, trying to extract, <laughs> trying to extract, well, what do you mean? Just like, uh, you know, asexual reproductive is like, no, you know, there's, there's another, you know, yeah. so I don't know how difficult that is, but because you did discuss it and I think it, it is important. Yeah. It, uh, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It, it never happens. The conversation should never happen without both people at the table talking honestly about those things. Right. And uh, I will, I will completely agree with you. And there's actually lots of research to actually show that that's actually the case. Um, even blatantly, you can see some specific audiences, pundits online, talking about the the loss of masculinity and the, or the, the the downward trajectory that we discussed before of masculinity. And they always seem to throw in those things, right, on like lower sperm motility, lower libido, depression, suicide ideation, et cetera. Um, and then, of course, they extreme it down into incels and, you know, they just put it in that neck of the woods. Uh, while at the same time, in like parentheses that they didn't discuss, they, they don't also want to say that that could be a huge problem with an issue with reproduction. <laughs> they they don't want to say it, right? So I, I find that kind of conspicuous and and honestly ugly um, without having to say, listen, we have these two adults that society has told them they need education and all this money accumulated and property right? And now you're telling them that they're less than if they don't have kids when they're 20 years of age, right? Now you're going to tell them that you're not saying it out loud, but that's how they're hearing it, right? That's how they're hearing it. Yet you don't want to provide a solution, right? For this 35 to 40 year old who's like, hey, this is the hands I've been dealt and this is what I need to do. And this is where we come in and having the discussion on that. I'm still going to say, and maybe you have a different opinion on that, I still don't think that um, medicine is the actual wholehearted answer to that particular thing, right? I still don't think it is. What I mean by that is like the therapeutic options of one person getting, you know, sp some specific, let's just call it in my terminology, uh, egg viability improvements. And then the male being like, oh, my sperm are like, you know, Caesar or Genghis Khan's sperm, <laughs> you know, like, I, I don't think that's the answer. Uh <laughs> I don't know where that Genghis Khan thing came from. <laughs> that was that was dirty. <laughs> he impregnated, impregnated like a million people. Um, uh, anyways, gosh, that took me into a dark place. But you see, I'm saying <laughs> I, I don't think that's the answer uh, for it. Um, and if you know, should you wish to know the answer, I think it's important for us to, uh, on on top of your point that you just made there, recognize that maybe. Um, a consultation uh, needs to involve both people in the conversation of reproduction over time. Would that be like a, a nudge or effort? No, I just liked it because, right, like I've talked about this on previous podcasts. It doesn't matter how old a female is when they come into my gym. I'm always going to forward talk about reproduction as far as for if they decide they want to have a child, preparing for perimenopause and menopause. It's like I like to go into this with our eyes open of how what we do in our 20s impacts those later periods of our lives. I think the same conversation can be ha have with young male clients of like, even as we're entering the workforce or we have like grad school and full-time job and we have all these stressors, why, why would it be important to prioritize the BLGs to make sure that you have great sperm motility? 
right? So that by the time you, and if you decide you do meet that person, you want to have a child that you know you're coming to the table with just as great of health to support having a healthy pregnancy as the girl you, or, you know, the partner you decide to be with. I think those can be right. I think it, I don't think it's ever out of line to start just painting that forward picture of how everything we do in our younger years are going to impact us as we begin to age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, uh, oof. I mean that, um, I'm just going to pause for a second to think, not pause the actual video, but pause and think for a second around, uh, um, I personally would like us to, to pull that one out, um, and throw it to a future episode. I think that's a really important one for us to have. Um, or just a conversation, I think, just to get my thoughts aligned on the same thing, but in a in a much more detailed and fair, I guess you could say. Uh, and this would be the context of it, just so we both are saying it out loud, or I'm saying it out loud, is the the obvious challenges biologically and socially with reproduction at a later age. Um, and I think that that may um, allow me, anyways, to feel a little bit better of of uh, you know somehow finding our way back to the testosterone aging male thing for today. But also, uh, you know, I, I won't, I won't say that it's, I'm not doing that to, to, to direct it. Um, because it's extremely important. I'll just, I'll just say that. Uh, cause the reason why, and the reason why it's important to keep going on that, that's reality. <laughs> like th- these are real things that we, I don't want to not discuss. This is the thing. Like, we seem to walk through our lives with seeming to have, uh, you know, answers to that in our head, but no one wants to talk about it, right? Just those things that I mentioned of like these societal expectations of education and property and et cetera. And then now you're at a biological mismatch of what everyone has told you for your entire life. I don't want to not discuss that, yeah. you know, and I, I, I'm, I'm willing to take on all the the shit and trouble that you get into it. Cause I'm still going to hold in my hand, this idea that, you know, there are things that people could define what is purposeful for them in their non-reproductive years. You know, those are the things I got lots of stuff in my pocket that can give to people that defines purpose and defines health. And it's not always got to do with what Simone de Beauvoir, who's the books right in front of me would call the sexual nature that you think you need to like embed yourself inside of. So I'm not afraid to have that discussion uh, you know, for our future based upon that. And I bring it up, right? Because I think it is as we're having children later in life or meeting our spouses later in life, it's like, you know, say that person is already 42 when they meet, they finally have the time in their life to be like, I'm ready to look for a partner. And they are like, finally meet someone now they're 45 and they're with like a 36 year old female and she's got like the libido that's completely mismatching his. And now he thinks like his should be there. Because society has just said that like we shouldn't that you should have the same libido you had in your twenties and your fifties. Yeah. And By the way, I think you just outlined the dream. <laughs> the dream. Well, and that's why you know I we've, I just watch like you know it's like you see these narratives on TV shows and movies and everything else that's being sold and it's like yes, having the re- that's where I say the conversations I have with my clients. I'm like actually like what you're experiencing is 100 percent normal. Yes. yes, your libido should be slightly decreasing. We don't have to pretend like, well, I still have, you know, you know, multiple erections every day. Like, let, like, let's be real. As we get older, it's okay that that slightly decreases. Yes. It doesn't mean, because also, you know, there's, 
I think also sparking off on the other um, pieces you had sent to me is like, you know, the shifts in marriages as people get older. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe there's also a never had a conversation that, right. She's experiencing vaginal dryness. Your libido is going down. You guys are both changing as people. Mm-hmm. And how does that impact your relationship? Yes. Right. If yeah. neither of you both understand what's going on in your bodies. And now you just think of it as like, she doesn't want to have sex with me. I'm not feeling like the urges I used to have. Maybe we're just not connected anymore. Yeah. 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 When you throw uh, the realities of society <laughs> in top of uh, the topic that, the you know, <laughs> my brain, it just hurts because it's so easy to just isolate it and pick on testosterone therapy for aging male uh, that it, it complicates, but it has there's a reason for it being complicated. Um, yeah. Cause life's not, life's not simple. You know, anyone says it is simple. I mean, they hear me say BLGs and that shit's simple, but there's a deeper story inside of that. Anyways, I appreciate uh, you kind of bringing that uh, out. And I hope we could move the particular, you know, um, that topic uh, into another conversation I'd like to have, but um because I wrote it down as you were saying something way back, if you can remember, the I'd like to speak about the social expectations um, for uh, physical potential for the aging male in what I saw right in front of me. And I mentioned it way back in our episode today of what they call within the article this hypogonadal state. And everyone gets up in arms based upon it. And I just want to let you know that there's two ends of the spectrum where people will get into that. Um, actually, well, there's three parts, but you know, the, the, the fourth is if anyone gets into a hypogonadal state, that's why I have this like irk around medicines encroachment inside of like, Oh, we're the only ones that have the answer to this. No, the answer for 99 out of a hundred males who are aging, the answer for them in a hypogonadal state at their part of time of their life is Melissa Gitron at Opex Cura, or the, as I call it, the avatar of the fitness coach who's willing to spend two or three years in fixing all the shit and the problems that you got yourself into. So that's the answer for 99% of all of those males who are in a hypogonadal state. What's the other 1%? This becomes a little, you know, I, I would say disagreeable in the fitness terms because I saw it in front of me. I saw a shit ton of males at their early 30s, who were in a hypogonadal state as defined by medical analysis. I even had to do months of research as well. Am I, are my measurements incorrect? No. So I do all those years of research to figure out, actually, these males that I have in front of me are an, are an indication of a hypogonadal state as a male in their, in their early 30s, okay? So for, for those who are like, oh, it's not possible to have that, listen, they walked around me they basically pale zombies who could like do crazy shit in CrossFit for years. Okay. So it is possible, but I, I keep going on my thread here. There is another group too. That would be, I'm just going to classify it in today. I saw it, I saw it in soldiers, right? And that's a, that's a unfortunate, but it's just my terminology. I'll use it for today. Um, whether it be traumatic brain injury, whatever, I'm going to classify them, the soldier warrior together right? As, as a group that I saw that same thing in. And so people would then say, well, I mean, that's a select group and special purpose, et cetera. Yeah. But I, it's not like I didn't see it. 
You know, I saw these guys at late 20s or early 30s prior to the work that they've been doing, just kind of get spit back into civilization, get all these tests done and be like, bro, that's that's a significant problem. Like, wh- how did it get to that point? So you got to ask the questions. What are the two things that bring those two together? And it is a early maximization of the central nervous system and the metabolic system at the same time. Okay. So when, and, and CrossFit highlighted this, like I like to say, it highlighted this like no other social experiment ever did, where you had people willingly kicking the shit out of themselves for years on end. And the only reason why I bring those up is that those are a very, very small part of the population, right? Part of the population. And then there's another very tiny percent, I would say it's 0.001% who actually do have genetic SNPs. So genetic predispositions or single polymorphisms that lead to this like really weird, you know, state, you know, which I think just to kind of put a political point in there, I think these people should be tremendously supported for their entire life on those issues in whatever you want to call it, a free healthcare system to allow them to rewrite these non-biological shit that happened to them, meaning biological normalities that happened to them. So that's a lengthy thing to say that if you're not in those groups, right, it is your responsibility. It is your responsibility to do the two-year plan with Melissa as the answer. And it's not testosterone therapy for that aging male, because all the things that we have seen over a long period of time, right, with patients and whatnot, can rewire that entire system that got you to the having that quote-unquote doctor's prescription of having a low testosterone. I'm not sure if I said anything there in terms of the groups that you wanted to like make note of or pick on or just kind of add to you. I mean, actually, I think it's unfortunate because I think those are the two populations that probably don't even have a doctor that's checking these things for them to even have access to what they do need. Like, the t- mid twenty year old that's oh yeah yeah pro- right like who's having these conversations with them yeah well right? then it becomes a, it, then it becomes as I was saying like I wanted to bucket it as a as yeah. a philosophical ethical conversation yeah. now it's like you know because the point I wanted to make is like who's more important in this conversation you see what I'm saying like so who should get it well that's why I say I I, I spent years inside of being a an advocate and and a pro therapy person for the soldier and the and the warrior the physical warrior why because i knew regardless of what caused them to get into those situations i knew that they were going to have an unsuccessful attempt at the next 50 years of their life without testosterone therapy without it and there's no there's nothing like so just to kind of be reduced on it there's nothing that 28-year-old CrossFitter could do. Uh, like with they couldn't like specifically arrange their microgreens, you know, and like meditate more. That was gonna fix shit. That was gonna fix stuff. It, the, the, what, what was required was actual biochemical changes that needed to occur from exogenous sources. That's the only way it was going to occur. So if you if you don't feel as, you know um comfortable with having the conversation with the young crossfitter around that then i i would ask you the listener well how do you feel about the soldier right how do you be how do you feel about that young mind 
that delivered 10 years for an entire society to keep us free, to keep us allowing us to do the things that we want to do every fucking day, right? So how do you feel about that? Do you think they should be provided with 50 years of bioidentical hormones to rewrite their mind and to get them out of the trash that they were in for 10 years? So you see, I put those in the same conversation and whether you like it or not, I'm not really, I don't really care. But the reason why I harp just on those two points and those two people, besides the individuals that could have genetic predispositions, is that I need people to listen that the 99%, right? They don't need it. They don't need it. That's why I'm harping on the groups that could possibly need it. The 99%, and this is what I find in my words, disgusting. I see so many people trying to be advocates and benefits of it, calling it like, you know, telehealth or some specific kind of progressive health scenario where they're online showing off like their medical, you know, um, shit that they're doing or even recommending to people or telling people in the locker room, like I heard all summer in, in hockey of like, oh, this is the Wagovi and testosterone therapy that I'm taking. And I'm just sitting back like just floored, right? Thinking that, yeah, we're in a free society. You can do what you want to do. But at least I need to hear you say that you're the one that got yourself into this problem, right? And I don't even want to argue around how to get yourself out of it. Because as I said, I don't have the data to prove that two years of broccoli and lunge is going to fix you more or fix you faster because I just don't have that data, right? But don't tell me that you actually need it. That's the reason why I made that big, the rant on the groups that do end up in that hypogonadal area. It's something to consider that I think a lot of people have it in their they have it in themselves, that aging male, you can do this and you can do it alone. And dare I say, naturally, you can do it naturally with a professional coach who will guide you through this process of rewriting all those things and getting and to be simple with it, not to make it too, it is the basics that's basically going to help that person. And are they willing? I think that's a big one that's come up is. Um... Yeah, the intentions, right? Right at that age, a lot of them, not to generalize, but at least the ones I see still are sleeping six hours a night and have work dinners and are drinking, you know, two glasses of wine or two glasses of whiskey or bourbon every single night um, and aren't willing to change that lifestyle habit. Um, but want the results of feeling better, seeing better body comp and Right. So it's always a matter of what are we willing to shift and change? And if we're not willing to improve sleep quality or potentially address like the social things that we're doing that are negatively impacting our health. Nothing's going to change there. Yeah. So. I, you know, I, yeah, I like, uh, you know, just having, you know, the, I'm not sure if you've ever had that uh, thought yourself or, you know, because it's, it's not necessarily recommended because of sometimes the the shitty stuff that comes with it. But if you're like, if I was president, you know, this is what I would do. <laughs> if, and if it's not president, I don't know, I'll just say like some kind of authority figure that basically had this, you know, well accepted, positively moral kind of ideas to how society should move forward. Um uh, I think, you know, uh, to and I'm just bringing this up as to say like a big stab at a fixing, you know, the 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 big issue here um is um because i've just been on it hot for for the past year or so we need to really rethink uh physical expression um 
the ideal of physical expression for humans. I think we really need to rethink that. So yes, inside of that conversation, the way I put it, we should completely eliminate sport as a part of society. That would be my, you know, that, and I know that I know that's ridiculously uncomfortable, but I haven't even finished yet. If you think that's uncomfortable. So I think we need a physical expression rewrite as to what that means. And that would, uh, you know, cause that would fix a shit ton of things, right? People would be like, Oh, I should just exercise cause I'm capable of it. And I don't need to win at anything or like, do it for performative or entertainment purposes. Like, yeah, that's why you should do exercise. It's like, oh, that's fantastic. Uh, secondly, um, you know, I would, and again, this is being an authoritarian manner, but uh, we need to have, you know, in, in short, again, reduced terminology, uh, you know, free range, regenerative agricultural fuels, like, you know, potatoes that come out of the ground and, uh and uh, meat that's on the land, uh, sheep, if it makes you feel a little better, as opposed to beef, um, that that needs to get to a level where it's like uh, eight times less the cost than Doritos and sugar, you know. And again, I just reduced that in a conversation for you know. And, and the reason why I'm, I'm I know this is uncomfortable for people because it always brings up my third point that I'm going to get to is this fr- freedoms and liberties that we think we have that have no effect on society, right? We, we just talk this big talk. I'm like, well, I want to do what I want to do because I'm free. And in this country, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. It's like, well, I know I'll never be able to attach what you perceive as your liberties and freedoms to how it affects me. Right? It'll be really hard for me to do that. But that doesn't mean I'm not going to argue a point back to say, well, this is what would end up being the highest ideal. Because their argument back can't be, oh, well, I've seen all these studies that show that if people eat processed food and treat themselves like shit, they're super healthy for 80 years. You can't show me that, right? So that's the second thing I'd say. And then third, because it's more appropriate, I guess, especially for, you know, September 2023 and what's going to come up for next year, November 2024, we need to have a reconvention on what everyone agrees is the First Amendment rights on free speech. Um, the reason why I say that and how this connects to our conversation today is that unfortunately, the past number of years, there's a lot of people kind of like us who want to make recommendations or who want to say things like, hey, you know what? I think sugar is really making kids, you know, act inappropriately in the afternoon. And I know that sounds really soft and like, you know, not, you know, not a problem. But if you want to elevate that and make it worse and worse, Right. That conversation now is not allowed to be had in all circles, okay? So and if you don't think that is the case, well, you need to do a little bit more reading or you need to kind of go and, you know, don't, don't go off on the deep end, but go in some darker circles in terms of that conversation. Because there are people kind of like us who are saying things that are just like simply magical, honestly, in my opinion, for health and longevity, but their voice is being... There's dissent around their voice as to what they want to say. And that is a actually a really, really, that's just not good. So again, I'll just back up. I, as a thought experiment, if I was to kind of, you know, be in that position to rule the ideas, I would uh, deconstruct sport. I would put a monstrosity attacks on processed foods and shit stuff and make, you know, f- uh, real food free. <laughs> and uh, I would take a serious, you know, harder look as to who's inside of making all decisions on what is free speech and how you could honestly speak about all the uh, harms uh, that are there for a shitty lifestyle that no one seems to want to talk about. I only say that not to like, you know, say what your 
what your thoughts on that, but I just had it down as like a, um, as a thing that I thought in my opinion would like, would get us, you know, would be above this conversation on like, oh, well, is testosterone going to fix the aging male, you know, reproduction issue? Yeah. Well, you know, I kind of, I feel like this is one where I, I can't disagree with you. Um, and I wasn't saying it so you could, but I didn't know if there's like, you know, the, you know the, I had a deep conversation with a, a coach on this of the difference of, you know, it's, it's okay to eat things that aren't as clean sourced or like not, you don't always have to look for the highest quality of foods. And I, my argument was I go to the farmer's market because I'm connected to my community. I'm connected to knowing where my food comes from, the farmers that grow it and that I'm feeding back into the world I'm trying to create, right? What we do is beyond this, our gym walls. It's like, I know that when I support those people, I'm supporting the world I want to create versus supporting, you know, the soy milk company that has, does not have my best interest in mind. So the food choices we make go beyond simply, Oh, does this fit my macros? It's like, what am I putting in my body and who am I supporting every time I choose to purchase this? You know, um, that's a so great angle. I did to just go back to this concept of like, well, all foods, like, you know, we were making food too big of a clean versus not clean. Right. Or, you know, this, the meat I get, the cheap meat I get at Safeway is no better or worse for me than the stuff I get at Whole Foods or anything like that. I'm like, yeah, but it's also like, then you're choosing to be ignorant about where your food comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a. I love that. I, I didn't know that that would be a, a point on top of mind with regards to like a big fix thing. But what you're highlighting there is uh, an in-person, real-life conversation back of what what clients or humans out there could hear as a focus. Like, what should be my focus? And your focus, what you were just mentioning there. I think there's probably a couple of other things you'd probably agree with that, but that's a great focus is to say, you know, what's supporting those around you under that context of what is real food. Um, I would say that it's probably to say the same thing in a different way. I would say the focus with people and humans on the education around what is your and I definition of real food, I think gets people to go to the local market. I could be wrong on that, but I think that's what ends up because people just look around and they're like, well, I'm in the desert, you know, uh, it costs that much to make an avocado, <laughs> you know, they, they start thinking, oh, this is interesting, you know, so where should I put my time and energy on stuff that could cost, it's a cost effective scenario for me, not because I'm trying to do it, but I'm supporting those around me who are in support of that real food movement. Let's call it that, whatever it is. So I really like that. That was, that was great. I got, I was, you know, I wrote down as you were saying it, that I think what you're trying, what you tried to do there, you continually try to do. And what we need to do is, is to say, is to ask that client back who asks you that or says that. And this is, I'm, I'm saying this now to people who are humans listening in is that we need to have much longer conversation as to what makes sense, right? Cause we get, we get so caught up in what we call today, the quick fix or the therapeutic paradigm it kind of takes us away from, you know, the big picture, the big picture stuff, which is important, right? So it allows us, you know, also real great way to conclude our, our conversation or get to conclusion. Our conversation today is that, yeah, the answer to that is that it needs to be stretched out. So uh, what is the answer to, you know, male reproductive aging and testosterone therapy and where it sits? It, 
it needs to be a really long uh, relationship with someone um, and lots of conversation uh, on education, um, all the while knowing everything that we discussed today, which is like, you know, where does the therapeutic paradigm have to part to play in it? Um, you know, who are the people that are truly hypogonadal and what does that mean? You know, what's the science behind ranges and the truth around ranges? What's the science behind you know, the authority figure and fear and, and all those things that are applied in therapy. Like that's the stuff you have. That's stuff you have, right? We have these conversations with clients all the time or or I did all the time and you probably do all the time. Um, and that takes, that takes weeks and months and years, you know, to get to that. And the whole time, no, you're not, you're not turning them away from that information or a conversation with their doctor. You're just saying, no, we're going to build this up and like develop this over time. And then you'll start to see, would you agree that you start to see that there's like, oh, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and I do, I'm doing this myself, right? It's all yeah. me. Which is like the one test I can say is you just like have to stay true to those principles and continue to reinforce and recheck into those over and over because you know I would think of it as if you're a new coach and you've never had someone beyond a year a lot of these big ahas happen after that point and it's like when someone sees their blood work come back and it's like wow this happened simply by doing these lifestyle things like that's when trust is won forever right and that's when like you actually make true change because now they've created habits that will carry them through the next you know, chapter of their life. So yeah, you just have to stay true to what you know and keep reinforcing those principles. Yeah. Yeah. What uh, Melissa just provided all of you with is uh, one of our, you know, OPEX's secret tricks of the trade, which is um, awareness. Uh, we, we use that as a tool, you know, I'm not giving up our secret there, but we, we, we make people aware of something uh, because awareness opens up, in our opinion, anyways, it opens up a world of possibilities for people. Um, and if that awareness is, like Melissa just said, this little growth that you had and you did it, that that could change someone's life. And it constantly does change someone's life. And we just keep like nudging you towards being more aware, more aware, more aware, and then it'll lead to something bigger and better over time. So yeah, our answer to it, um, not that we were trying to do it, but for um, summarizing today, you know, um, I would say be aware of the therapeutic paradigm as to what, you know, people want you to expect. Um, be aware of that. And I'm speaking to that aging male, be aware of like your, these stories that go on in your head of your expectations, like what your expectations for your best you for the next 50 years, right? Like what, what are those? Where did that come from? You know, who determined that? And then you and me are like striving so that people remain patient. You know, uh, we don't want you to make these quick decisions um, all the while saying that we know the quick decisions are sexier and more entertaining and flashier and, and you can virtue signal them a whole lot easier. Uh, we get that, but um, we just want to, we just want to push the long game. You know, based upon those answers. Perfect recap. Yeah. Um, oh, gee, I didn't mention it. Um, some readings uh, for people. I do have four specific ones. There's probably a list of 20, but uh, the four that I can remember that made me like 
you know, think a little deeper, just based upon this particular topic, was uh, T uh, by Carol Hooven, um, explores the, uh, just the background of testosterone. Um, when Men Behave Badly uh, by Bus, um, it ties in uh, testosterone and uh, let's call it more of a natural phenomena of human uh, reproduction and human evolution. So you'll be able to extract, you know, where in the hell this fits into today's, you know, let's call it artificial madness around it. Uh, third, the, which is always the one I provide in all these areas is The Mating Mind by Jeffrey Miller. Um, that's a that's a that's a great one. And The End of Gender uh, by Deborah So. And the title is specifically uh, uh, performative um, for that, as she would say that. But she's a sexologist. And what you'd want to extract from that conversation is not the more recent topic that she talks about in the book of like um, the, the specific sexual identity movements that are more prevalent for today. It's what I want you to extract from the book on uh, prenatal testosterone uh, dosing or in inter in you know, in utero testosterone dosing. Um, so a deeper biological synopsis of testosterone um, on it. And uh, although it's not down on my list, uh, just because I just mentioned that, uh, I think it's called Rogues and Lovers. I don't, I forget the title of the, the author's name, but um, it's also a good, you know, historical synopsis of testosterone. I'm not sure if you wanted to add to that or just. Uh, no, I'll definitely make sure. Yeah. Okay. 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 Even if they're not there, Melissa, that's okay. I just, I just had them down as something that people could just rewind and hit, you know, um, minus 15 or minus 30, whatever you have on your app uh, to go over those. Or you could just ask me, you know, email and ask. I could answer any questions that people also want a, a more individualized approach, right? I always respect that because some people uh, may just be at different points in their life and they may need something a little different. So I rec recommend that as well. Super. Uh, thank you again, Melissa, for uh, doing this with me in the conversation for today. I uh, really appreciate it. Good one. See you guys.